In the same way as Ashnataha for one engaged in eating, Siu, they occur, Tustihi, satisfaction, Pushtihi, nourishment, Shut Apayana, eradication of hunger, Anugasana, increasingly with each morsel. So this verse is quoted many times by Srila Prabhupada and our Acharyas. And there's a, a great importance 
to this verse. There are several instances when Srila Prabhupada asks devotees, when you are trying to tell someone else about Krishna consciousness, how will you say that you know it is true? And the devotees would say, oh, because it says in the Shastra, or we've heard from Guru Prabhupada said, no, this is blind following. What is your experience? So this verse is about experience. What is our experience of bhakti? Because the ultimate proof of bhakti has to be our experience. Translation. Devotion, direct experience of the Supreme Lord, and detachment from other things. These three occur simultaneously for one who has taken shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in the same way that pleasure, nourishment, and relief from hunger come simultaneously and increasingly with each bite for a person engaged in eating. This verse is also very nice because everybody eats practically. I mean, <clears throat> some people have some disease where they are fed with some tube. Well, I knew one devotee like that. She had a tube to her stomach and she would have to put liquid food in a bag. She could not eat. But 99.9% .9 of people were eating. Yes? So this is a very practical and real analogy. So who remembers the three things that happen when uh, we take shelter of the Lord, when we surrender to the Lord? What are the three things that happen? Devotion, direct experience of the Lord, and detachment. And this is compared to when we are eating Satisfaction, nourishment, tusti, pushti, and relief of hunger. And this is also <coughs> described as a gradual thing. The more you eat, the more you feel these things. Purport. Srila Jiva Goswami has explained this analogy as follows. Bhakti or devotion may be compared to tusti, satisfaction because they both take the form of pleasure. Paresh and Bhava, experience of the Supreme Lord, and Pushti, nourishment, are analogous because both sustain one's life. Finally, Virakti, detachment, and Shud, Apaya, cessation of hunger, may be compared because both free one from further hankering so that one may experience Shanti or peace. Okay, so what goes with what? What are, what are the things we have? Three things from surrender, three things from eating. What goes with which? Not miseries. Experience of the Supreme Lord goes with nourishment. Experience of the Supreme Lord goes with nourishment. Someone who's not looking at the book. <laughs> Someone from over here? 
Bhakti goes with satisfaction, good, and detachment goes with getting rid of hunger. Getting rid of hunger. Hunger is going away. Well, no, satisfaction, Tushti goes with. What does Tushti go with? No, no, Tushti is satisfaction. So satisfaction goes with what? Okay, this is this is surrender. This is eating. Okay, surrender, eating, surrender, eating. I should draw this on the board. Surrender, eating. Satisfaction, eating goes with what? Devotion, bhakti. Okay, next thing from eating is. Nourishment that goes with experience of the Lord and with eating the cessation of hunger and detachment. Do we have some other? Do any, we have color markers here? Do we have any? It is the same sequence. Do we have any color markers? We have like red, blue, anything? No, we okay. Get the black marker then, and let's make some arrows here. Yeah. All right. So we have bhakti and dusti. Okay. <laughs> And seeing the Lord, okay, and then you're up here and should. Sorry, I'm a teacher. <laughs> what you do? Okay, is that clear? Did, can you understand the Sanskrit words? Is it yes. similar at all to Tamil? At all? No? Virakti is almost similar. Virakti is similar? Tushti, Tushti, Pushti, you have similar? Tushti, Pushti is almost, yeah. All right. Pushti? Pushti is similar. Going on with the purport. A person who is eating not only becomes uninterested in other activities, but increasingly, increasingly becomes uninterested in the food itself, according to his satisfaction. On the other hand, according to Srila Jiva Goswami, although one who is experiencing the blissful personality of Godhead Krishna becomes uninterested in anything other than Krishna, his attachment to Krishna increases at every moment. So here we have a difference. When we're going to compare two things, we have an allegory or an analogy. They have some things in common, but also something that's different. So what's different about eating is you get detached from your hunger as you keep eating, but as you keep eating, you also get detached from the food. Yes? Yes. After a while, you say no more. Even if it is your favorite food. Yes? There's one story, this true story. This one young man got a job in the summer 
selling ice cream at ice cream shop. And part of the payment was he could eat as much ice cream as he wanted. So he was a young man, like 16, 17 years old. So you can imagine how much ice cream he was eating. He ate so much ice cream that he started to feel nauseous. He started to feel nauseated. You understand? Nauseated like you're going to vomit. But he kept eating. And by the end of the summer, he could not even look at ice cream. Even anything with sugar, he said, was very difficult. And he said, rest of his life, he could not eat ice cream. <laughs> so this is what happens with food. Even if you take your favorite food, do you like pizza here in Tamil Nadu? <laughs> Everybody likes pizza, I don't know. Wherever you go in the world. Ah. Oh. Doesn't matter where, what country you go in the world. Even the big Vedic people, they eat pizza. You notice this? Yes? <laughs> so, but if you have pizza for breakfast, pizza for lunch, pizza for dinner, pizza for breakfast, pizza for lunch, pizza for dinner, pizza for breakfast, then you'd say no more pizza. Yes? But with Krishna, you always have hunger for more. Always have hunger for more. So you get relief from material attachments, but you don't become disgusted with Krishna. So there is a reason for this. Even in eating, it is a fact that we will eat more if there's more variety. Like if you are given a meal and it's only one preparation, you cannot eat as much as if there are three or four preparations. You can experiment with this. Our bodies are programmed by the Lord to want variety. Otherwise we will not get enough proper nutrition. If we only eat idlis, you know, we, we need other things also. So when there's variety, we can eat more. And Krishna is endless variety. Always new, always fresh. And therefore, we never become satiated. The English word satiated is like, I, enough. So we become satiated with material enjoyment, but we never become satiated with Krishna. So that is the difference between Krishna and food. Okay, going on. Therefore it is to be understood that the transcendental beauty and qualities of the Supreme Lord are not material, since one never becomes satiated by relishing the bliss of the Supreme Lord. So with food, we become satiated, but we don't become 100% satisfied with any food. You cannot say, this meal now I'm 100% satisfied, all my desires are fulfilled. I just eat this food, I don't want anything else in the whole universe. So we don't feel completely satisfied, but we feel satiated. With Krishna, we are satisfied, but not satiated. Everybody follow? So food, satiated, but not satisfied. Krishna, satisfied, but not satiated. Going on the purport, the word viraktihi, 
is very significant in this verse. Virakti means detachment, whereas Tyaga means renunciation. According to Shilubhaktisnata Saraswati Thakur, the word renunciation can be used in a situation in which one considers giving up an enjoyable object. But by considering everything to be potential paraphernalia in the service of Lord Krishna, as described in the previous verse, one need not give thought to renunciation, for one uses everything in the proper way in the service of the Lord. Yukta Vairagya Uchite. So this is also very significant. And I believe this point is quite misunderstood in our Krishna consciousness movement. We are not so interested in tyaga. We are not so interested in renouncing things. Renouncing things, first of all, means I think this thing has some enjoyment for me and therefore I'm going to give it up. Huh? But I'm still thinking it has some enjoyment for me. Does everybody follow this logic? It has some enjoyment for me, but I will give it up. But here, this detachment means, I don't think this has any enjoyment for me. I'm giving it up only because there's nothing there. there there's no enjoyment for me there at all. So if you have a photograph of a meal, Huh? I saw this video one time, this dog, he was trying to eat a photograph of a meal. But if I am given a photograph of a meal, there is no question of renunciation. Because there is nothing enjoyable in the paper. Yeah? Yes? So when the devotee sees how everything we were reading yesterday is the body of the Lord, that there's no question of my wanting to enjoy it separately. It, it, it doesn't even make sense. Yes? And this is something of the difference between renunciation as a discipline and renunciation as a gift of the Lord that is a byproduct of bhakti. So some years ago, I uh, first I was corresponding, later I met him, this one Catholic monk, Franciscan monk, uh, who became a secret Gaudiya Vaishnava. So, because he's a very big preacher in the Catholic community. He's written many books, speaks to 100,000 people. So, he's chanting 16 hours, following the principles, reading Prabhupada's books, but we call it in the closet. He's, it's his own private life. So when first I had some correspondence with him and I was asking him how he decided to become a monk and he said, for me, celibacy is a charism, not a discipline. So what is this word charism? We have the word charisma. But I looked it up and in Catholic theology, a charism is a gift a divine gift of God. And I thought this is very interesting. Renunciation as a... Is somebody controlling me? Oh, okay. All of a sudden, everybody is distracted. 
So I thought this is very interesting, renunciation as a discipline and renunciation as a gift of God, they're very different. We see that people who take up renunciation as a discipline, they can, what can happen to them? They can always fall down. And we see this happen many times. This Ramita, but we see this in Iskan too, if we're going to be honest, yes? If you haven't seen it yet, just stay in the movement for a year or two and you will hear many stories. Of people who took renunciation as a discipline and they couldn't maintain it. What else happens if you have renunciation just as a discipline? You get very frustrated. You always do's and don'ts. So many do's and don'ts. Your whole life becomes full of do's and don'ts. Also, you can become very hard-hearted and kind of fanatic. And we see people, I pretty much will guarantee you, if you see people who are very fanatic and very hard on everybody, they are also being hard on themselves because their renunciation is a discipline. They have all kinds of unfulfilled desires and they are taking these unfulfilled desires and they are trying to push them in a box and take them up. But these unfulfilled desires, they are like a wild animal. Yes? And this is explained in the Bhagavatam. You cannot trust a wild animal that you have captured. Cannot trust a wild animal. So probably most of us have not captured a wild animal. I did. At our Gurukula in uh, Detroit, there was this mother opossum. You don't have any opossums here in India. So I don't know how to explain what is an opossum. It is a marsupial, like a kangaroo. They have their babies live in a pouch. It looks like a very big rat, but it's not a rodent at all. Different family, but looks like that. Huh? But maybe similar. Like it's about this big, has a long, hairless tail. Anyway, the mother opossum has like 12 babies. And she carries them on her back. So at the temple, one of the babies fell off the mother opossum's back. And the baby was crying. And the mother didn't notice because she had so many babies, she just walked away. And opossums are not very intelligent. And so the children were begging me, Oh, Mother Amrullah, please. Let us take care of this baby. Let us take care of this baby. So I did, out of sentiment or whatever. Anyway, we took care of this baby. And we raised it until... It, but it would never had any gratitude. It was always a wild animal. It, it, never, it, it never bonded with us. You know? Like domesticated animals, cows, horses cats, dogs, they will bond with their owners, but this animal would never did. And as it grew, it would, if, if you would try to go near it, would go. <laughs> anyway, we took care of it, and it, when it was big enough, then we put it in the woods. But I could see from that, you could not trust a wild animal. It's wild. Or we have the same experience with very young children. So any of you who are parents, you know when your very young child, one, two years old, is very, very, very quiet. 
So first time this happens, you are inexperienced and you think, oh, my child is quiet. I will fold the laundry, I will wash the dishes. And then you see why your child was so quiet. They're making a big problem someplace. They are doing some big, big problem. Yes, so those of you who are parents, we have experienced the quiet child problem. Huh? So, uh, this is the same thing with renunciation as a discipline. You cannot trust it. You may think, oh, it's very quiet. All my material desires are very quiet. And you don't know what they are doing. You will come and you will find in the kitchen, they have taken the oil and they put it all over the floor and they are dancing in it. Huh? So, renunciation as a discipline means the heart becomes hard. You become fanatic. You become very critical of other people because you're being very critical of yourself, you know. Often one becomes a hypocrite. And generally there's some kind of fall down. People become also very angry. Renunciation is a discipline. We, you will see. If you, if you haven't seen, you will see. I will give you my guarantee that you will meet people like this in our Hare Krishna movement. They are very angry. They are very critical of everybody. He did that wrong. She did that wrong. They did that wrong. You have to be very strict all the time about everything. You will meet these people. And I guarantee you, this is renunciation as a discipline. Shiva Prabhupada was not like that. Not at all. Sometimes these people will even criticize Prabhupada. Oh, Prabhupada was too liberal. Well said. But renunciation as a gift is very different. It's a very different thing. You see material sense gratification, it has nothing in it. You just see it as empty. Huh? Prabhupada says you see the naked form of material desires. That is Prabhupada's wording. So here we have the analogy of eating. There is one analogy I'd like to give for this real detachment. So I don't know if they teach this anymore, but at least when I was a child and when Prabhupada was young, we learned in school the Greek classics, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Did you study in school? So still some, something here in India. Prabhupada would talk about, make some reference to these stories. So in one of these stories in the Odyssey, Ulysses is told there is an island of witches called the Sirens. This is where we get the English word Sirens. And they capture sailors and they eat them. And they capture them by singing. This is again, we get this word, sirens. But if you don't hear their singing, then you cannot be captured. So Ulysses told all the men on his ship, you put wax in your ears. But he wanted to hear this siren. He thought, what is this singing that can bewilder somebody? Right? Like Mark and Rishi, he said, I want to see your Maya. <laughs> Dangerous thing to ask. Anyway, so Ulysses had his men tie him to the mast of the ship 
And he said, any order that I give while we are going past this island, you ignore it. So they were rowing past the island, and the men who had wax in their ears, they saw a desert with riches and bones. So they're just rowing, 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 rowing. And Ulysses, he sees a tropical island with beautiful women and waterfalls and coconuts, and he's, I want to go. So with bhakti, it's like we have waxed in our ears for maya, and we see it for what it is. He's seeing maya for what it is. It's empty. Yes? Okay. Going on. The very pleasant analogy of a good meal is given in this verse. A hungry man busily consuming a sumptuous plate of food is not interested in anything else happening around him. In fact, he considers any other topic or activity a disturbance to his concentration on the delicious meal. Similarly, as one advances in Krishna consciousness, one considers anything unrelated to the devotional service of Krishna an obnoxious disturbance. We can definitely tell which BBT editor wrote this. Such concentrated love of Godhead has been described in the second canto of the Bhagavatam by the words Tibrena Bhakti Yogena Yajeta Purushan Param. One should not make an artificial show of renouncing the material world. Rather, one should, one should systematically train the mind to do everything as an expansion of the opulence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Just as a hungry materialistic man, upon seeing sumptuous food, immediately desires to put it in his mouth, an advanced devotee of Krishna, upon seeing a material object, immediately becomes eager to use it for the pleasure of Krishna. Without the spontaneous hunger to engage everything in the service of Krishna and to dive deeper and deeper into the ocean of love of Godhead, so-called realization of God or loose talk about so-called religious life is irrelevant to the actual experience of entering the kingdom of God. According to Srila Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, the path of Bhakti Yoga is so joyful and practical that even in the stage of sadhana bhakti, in which one follows rules and regulations without an advanced understanding, one can perceive the ultimate result. As stated by Srila Rupa Goswami Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu 12187, Iha as soon as one surrenders to the Supreme Lord Krishna, Prabhupada Masya, giving up all other activities, Viraktir Anyachacha, one is immediately to be considered a liberated soul, Jiva Mukta. The Supreme Lord Krishna is so merciful that when a living entity understands that the personality of Krishna is the source of everything and surrenders to the Lord, Krishna personally takes charge of him and reveals to him within his heart that he is under the Lord's full protection. Thus, devotion, direct experience of the personality of Godhead, and detachment from other objects becomes manifest even in the beginning stage of bhakti yoga, since bhakti yoga begins at the point of liberation. Other processes have as their final goal salvation or liberation, but according to Bhagavad Gita 1866, if one surrenders to Krishna, one is immediately liberated and thus begins his career as a transcendental devotee with complete confidence in the Lord's protection. Bhakti Pareshanu Bhavo Viraktir Anyakrachaisha Trika Eka Kalaha 
So in the previous verses, we got some indication of what does it mean to surrender. We had the verse that talked about always meditating on the transcendental pastimes of the Lord. And what was the example given? The Lord who does what? What form of the Lord, what pastime was indicated? He's carrying a... Chariot wheel, yes. The Lord carrying a chariot wheel. So there was a very specific pastime indicated. And we talked about how whatever is going on in our life that absorbs our attention, we can meditate on some corresponding activity of the Lord. Huh? If someone is acting as your enemy, you can meditate on Krishna coming to Bhishma with his chariot. Or if someone is, is coming for your protection, you can meditate like Arjuna. Krishna was protecting him by going with this chariot wheel. But whatever, whatever situation we are in in the world, there is some equivalency. My friends came home from a, a trip to a festival and they found the pipe in their house. The water pipe had broken. whole house was flooded completely. And then you can think of Govardhan Lila. What else? Matya Avatar. Right? Matya Avatar, Govardhan Lila, Varaha. And you start thinking of the details of these Lilas. And immediately you become happy. If somebody steals something from you, what Lila could you think of? Krishna stealing butter. Gopina stealing the kir for Madhavindapuri. Krishna stealing the hearts of the devotees. If you are buying something and you are bargaining, what pastime can you think about? Kolovich is Shuddha. And the old lady selling fruits. To the old lady selling fruits. Krishna bargaining with the gopis for their tax money. Ah, if you have to pay your taxes. Taxes, yeah. Oh, I have to pay my taxes. Krishna is asking taxes from the gopis and Nandamaraj is going to Mathura to pay his tax. Whatever you are doing, doesn't matter what you are doing. You are stuck in traffic. What can you think about? So Krishna blocking all that also. Oh yeah, Krishna blocking the gopis, very good. Prabhupada going to the west. Karna's chariot is stuck in the mud. So many. Both sides are waiting and Krishna... Oh, everybody's waiting at the battlefield. <laughs> I like this. For Krishna to finish his conversation. Imagine that, especially the gurus. 
What are they talking about? We're supposed to fight. Come on, hurry up, finish your conversation. We already blew the conch shells. Huh? If the darshan is late, you can also think that. <laughs> I know here sometimes the, the darshan is late. Ah, yeah. You know, there's another story in Indrajal Neil Mani, Rupa Goswami tells, because many times the gopis get angry with Krishna. That's very common. They get angry with cause and without cause. Very rarely Krishna gets angry at the gopis. Very rarely. And just a little bit angry. But one time he got angry at one gopi because she was taking too long to get dressed to come. And she said, well... The problem was it was, a new, it was a full moon, so I wore white clothing, and then clouds ran in front of the moon, so I had to go home and change to dark clothing, and so therefore I was late. Anyway, we can think of some pastime. Yes? Then we have this other verse that not only can we think of Krishna's pastimes, but we can see the world as the body of Krishna. So today we have so many clouds. Yes? Hair. And again we can think of this pastime with the chariot wheel. Krishna's hair has become white from the dust on the battlefield. Coming from the forest. Coming from the forest. So if we do this, that is surrender. That is surrender. Right? Because Krishna is explaining he says this twice in the Bhagavad Gita, end of the, which chapter? 18th and end of the 9th. So end of the 18th, right before he says, Sarvadharman Prachaja, he's saying, Manmanabhavamadbhakta. Always think of me. Think of me how? With devotion. Offer obeisances. We were told that we should offer obeisances, respect to everything in the world because it is the body of God. Right? So Mr. Krishna Prabhu was saying yesterday, if we are going to respect the clouds, how much we should respect the devotees. Right? There would be no more Vaishnava. No if I show respect to the clouds, there's Krishna's, oh, there's Krishna's hair. Then I'm not going to be cool with the devotees. Then what happens when we surrender? How do we know we've surrendered? People ask all the time, how do I know that Krishna is pleased? How do I know? So there's many places where there is an answer. But this verse is the one of the primary. I like to also quote Bhagavad Gita 9.2. Very similar. Very, very similar. Not always very peaceful. I know Krishna says, Shantiman, he says that you'll become peaceful and here we will experience peace also. But I don't know. Well, you saw not so peaceful. Huh. She's not so peaceful. I'll tell you. Radharani is not so peaceful. They're peaceful to material things. They don't care. But for Krishna, they're... Yeah, a little different. Otherwise, it's boring, huh? If we're just... Um, peaceful. 
So how do we know we've surrendered? Because we will experience these three things. We'll experience some devotion to Krishna. Krishna will not be just an idea. Krishna will not just be a philosophical concept. It will not just be some theology. You can also see, we were talking about artificial renunciation. Renunciation is a discipline. Another evidence of that is people will argue theology and philosophy simply to prove that they are right. Right? There's three ways to discuss Shastra. Vada, Jalpa, and Vitanda. Vada means we are discussing in a civilized, respectful way so we can help each other understand what is the truth. Jalpa means I think I am right and you think you are right and I am trying to convince you that I am right and you are trying to convince me that you are right. You are wrong, I am right. And then Vitanda is I don't even have any idea what is right. I just want to say that you are wrong. No, it's not even my way. Jalpa is my way. Vitanda is just you are wrong. I don't have any positive alternative. Simply you are wrong. So we see this Jalpa and Vitanda also with this artificial renunciation because then there's not really bhakti. Bhakti is I feel, I have some feeling for Krishna. I have some feeling, some devotion, some love for Krishna. I care. How does Krishna feel? Is he happy? It's not just some idea. We have a good philosophy that you should accept. Not like that. Actual devotion. Yes, so if I'm really surrendered to Krishna, and you see, it's not difficult. We were talking about Krishna's pastimes. Did you feel some devotion? Yes? The other, on Sunday in the afternoon, we asked everyone to discuss what was their favorite pastime that they would like to see. The first time that I did that exercise, afterwards, one of the devotees came up to me. This is a true story. She said, I did not know we were allowed to think about Krishna's pastimes. I'm like, I don't know what books you are reading. Very strange. But as soon as we talk about Krishna's pastimes, or even we talk about the clouds as Krishna's hair, immediately, don't we feel some affection for Krishna? Yes? Yes. Immediately. We feel immediately. Some bhakti. And then the next is this uh, nourishment. We feel nourishment. With our bhakti, we feel satisfied. You, you, can, you can see, we all experience, as soon as we are talking about Krishna, we feel satisfied. Do you feel satisfied just talking dry philosophy? Anybody? Or just talking about rules? Anybody feel that satisfied? These are the rules, and we have to do this, and we have to do that. We mean sometimes, but it should be in relation to Krishna, yes? Otherwise, it's boring. I have been to management meetings in ISKCON where people are just talking about rules, and they are sleeping, actually sleeping. You will go to these meetings, and people are like this. 
You know? Seriously. But as soon as we talk about Krishna, everybody is awake. I've seen this thousands of times. People are satisfied, but again, not satiated. They can go on and on and on. We're talking about pastimes of Krishna. Then nobody wants to eat and sleep even. Like cricket, yes. But not only satisfied, one feels nourished. One feels actually nourished. And this is this is amazing. Please pay attention. This is amazing. Here we have Paresh Anubhava. So Anubhava is one of the five parts of rasa. Anubhava is where you are doing something intentional for Krishna. You're bringing Krishna flowers. Right? What is this devotee doing? Ah, look at that! <laughs> he just brought Krishna flowers. What kind of flowers are those? What kind of flowers are those? Like a marigold flower. Okay. So we are doing something. We are bringing Krishna flowers. We are cleaning. We are cooking. We are telling people about Krishna. But here, the translation is that one directly experiences the Lord. So as soon as we surrender to Krishna, we should have some direct experience that should feel nourishing. We can tell when we're nourished, isn't it? By eating, you can feel like that, yes? Even with drinking water, you can feel when your body is hydrated. There's this feeling you get. Yes, if you've drunk enough water, you, your body, I don't know, there's a certain sensation in the body that you feel, oh, my body is hydrated. And the same with being nourished. One of the most amazing meals I had many years ago was in Mayapur, where at the uh, boys' Gurukul school, they had made a feast by all local food, all cooked by Ayurvedic recipes. And they were serving the food by Ayurvedic principles. So they served us one preparation at a time, but the order in which they served it was all by Ayurveda. And at the end of this meal, I felt very light. Like sometimes after a big meal you feel heavy and sleepy. I felt very light and I felt very nourished. I felt energized. I felt like I had just, you know, plugged my battery into the charger or something. You know, I felt nourished. So when we surrender to Krishna, we not only feel satisfied and happy, but we feel nourished. We, we feel that we're getting our needs met. We feel that we're full. In the Bible, David says, my cup is flowing over. But this is a direct experience. In 9.2, Krishna says, Prachaksha. It's a direct experience. Please do not think direct experiences are only for the Mahabhagavata. Here it's saying in the purport by our acharyas, Vishnu Chakravartitakura, Jiva Goswami, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, this experience is even for those in Sadhana Bhakti. We have seen people one day, two days, can 
connection with ISKCON, or sometimes five minutes, they have a direct experience. We've seen this. We've seen it practically. If we are not getting any direct experience, my dear friends, we are doing something wrong. Yeah. And the last one here is detachment. And this is exactly like you get detached from our hunger. So if we have been not eating for some time, just like in two days there will be an eclipse, and here we will be fasting. So when people eat, they will be hungry. Yes? But as we eat, the hunger goes away. And it goes away naturally. You don't have to make any separate effort to make the hunger go away. You don't have to say, I am going to make my hunger go away. When you are fasting, you have to do this. Yes? When you are fasting, you have to make some mental effort to make the hunger go away, isn't it? Yes? We all have experience, we're fasting. Stomach goes... You say, be quiet, I'm fasting. And the stomach again goes... Be quiet, I'm fasting. Most dangerous thing is to go shopping when you are fasting. Yes? I have done this. And then the body becomes attracted to all the food. It's very interesting. You know? And in America, in the big grocery stores, they also have bakeries with cakes and things. Of course, they're all made with eggs. And... So normally you're shopping, you don't even see it. But if you are fasting, then the mind goes, Oh, look at that cake over there. Oh. Was, Be quiet. Behave. I'm fasting. Yes? So when you are fasting to make the hunger go away, you have to make some effort. But when you are eating to make the hunger go away, you don't have to make any effort. You're just focusing on eating. Hunger goes away by itself. So if we are really in surrendering to Krishna, because this verse is about surrender, Prapantya, if we are really surrendering to Krishna, our material desires will go away themselves. Of course, sometimes there will be some effort. Krishna may reveal to us some anartha that we have to intentionally let go of. That will happen. But it is part of bhakti. Ravinda Sarupabhu talks about when he first tried chanting Hare Krishna. He didn't know what was this chanting. He didn't know anything of the philosophy. He was just trying interesting and he said he lost his desire to smoke. He found he just couldn't smoke anymore. It wasn't interesting. And so he stopped chanting. For a while, and then later he became a devotee. But he stopped chanting for a while because he said he was thinking, this, this mantra I'm chanting is very powerful. I should understand it first before I'm chanting it. And this Franciscan monk I was telling you about, when he, when he started chanting, his experience was that different things he had struggled with for years as a Catholic monk, they went away within a week or two in chanting. And I think we have also had this experience. 
that naturally in bhakti other things become not interesting. So we should surrender to Krishna, which means that we absorb ourselves in Krishna's name, form, qualities and pastimes, both in the transcendental abode and the universe as the body of God. And when we do that, we will feel devotion for Krishna. Just like when you eat, there's some happiness. The taste of the food in your tongue, the texture of the food, the feeling of the food in your belly, it's, it's satisfying. And we will directly experience God, just like we will feel our bodies become nourished, and we will have a natural, that's fine, we will have a natural gift of detachment, just like we naturally give up our hunger. So we should probably end here since we have this major distraction from the temple. Anybody have any questions or comments? That is also, people who take up renunciation as a discipline, uh, they will often become proud of certain external features of their renunciation. But actually they are doing secretly so many things. We see this also. Sometimes I think that it also very sad when this against is a few devotees. I don't know about few devotees or neophytes. That's coming to mind of my devotees. Well, this is discussed in uh, in Raghunathas Goswami Sri Manashiksha. I think I have taught that here, yeah? Yes, and we have the book. Maybe there's still some copies available in the bookstore. So this is very nicely explained in the sixth verse where Raghunath Daswaswami says that one should not bathe in the urine of a donkey <coughs> which will simply burn you and Bhaktivinoda gives everybody likes that verse it's everybody's favorite verse especially the men and the young boys they like it but I found if I wanted to sell many books I, I just teach that verse everybody wants to buy it but Bhaktivinoda, when he's describing different ways of bathing in donkey urine, one of them is to think that external renunciation, being a brahmachari, sannyasi, vanaprastha, and being advanced in bhakti are the same. So this means when we are thinking those who are brahmacharis, vanaprastha, sannyasis, they are the most advanced devotees, just because they are in a renounced order. And it is also the problem of people taking up the renounced order to get respect as an advanced devotee. And we see in many temples, people artificially forcing themselves to stay in the brahmachari ashram until they are 35, 40, 45. And I talk to many of these people, you know, they get to be 40, 45, they said, I shouldn't be here, I should be married, but now I'm already 43, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it is very common, very common. And people, you know, take some yas and then secretly they are doing this or that. So this is, this is a bath in donkey urine. Bhakti is not dependent on any of these things. 
any of these things. So I, I know of very advanced devotees in our movement that are married with children and a job. Where people think, oh, if you were working at a job. So Bhakti did not have a job. Prabhupada had a business. Prabhupada had a business. Bhakti Vinod had a job. You can be a pure prema bhakta. Bhakti Vinod had what? Ten children? You can have ten children and a job and a house and, and be a pure devotee and you can be some sannyasi and be a rascal. It's not... These things are not equivalent. Whether you're a prahasta, sannyasi is simply, or brahmachari, whatever, is simply what is best for you at that time on a practical level. It's just like whether you are cooking or not cooking. Some people, they should not cook, you notice? Some people, you should not allow them to cook. They are terrible cooks. They can do something else. Actually, I know one devotee couple... Uh, they are some of the best preachers in the whole world as far as preaching to a wide demographic of people. So many places you go in the world, they're only preaching to people of Indian backgrounds, even though they're in America or something like that. But this couple, you see their programs, everybody. There's Indians, and Indians from all over India. Some places you go in the West, like you go in some temples, they're only preaching to Bengalis. Even they're not preaching to Gujaratis or Tamilai, you know, just one demographic. So anyway, this couple, they're preaching wide range. People from all over India, all over different Western countries, old, young, married, single, men, women, everybody. So they run a very, very successful program. And the woman is a very successful businesswoman. They run a restaurant, a Govindas restaurant, and preaching programs. But she also is, has a successful business and she donated half a million dollars to the TOVP from her business. So she told me when they got married, it was an arranged marriage. So after marriage, her husband said, please cook something. So she went to cook something and it was very... Not... He said, try again, next meal, try it. So she cooked next meal. And then he said to her, rest of our marriage, you may not go in the kitchen. <laughs> I was at one temple where this cook, she made, you know, cooking bananas, right? You have cooking bananas here in Tamil Nadu? Yeah, we call them in America plantain. So she took these cooking bananas and eggplant, you know what is eggplant? Brinda, yeah? And red cabbage, you know what is red cabbage? Yeah? So she took eggplant, cooking bananas, and red cabbage, and she boiled it. Imagine this. I give you a subject. Boiled cooking bananas with boiled eggplant and boiled red cabbage. And then she made halva with avocado. So some people should not be in the kitchen. Similarly, some people should not be grahastas. And some people should not be sannyasis. It's not that everything is for everybody. No, it's not just qualification. It's the individual nature. And the time of life. Most people, when they are in their 20s, they should be married. Most people in their 20s should not be renunciants. And when you are in your 70s, you should be a renunciant. 
Not that in the 70s one is looking for a new husband and wife. We see this, yes? So just like uh, my godbrother Prahladananda Swami, so one time I said to him, Maharaj, were you ever married? And he said, yes, when I was a brahmachari, the town president told me, I want you to get married. And we were thinking in those days, whatever the authorities say, we just say, yes, sir. So he married this girl. But I don't know, have you, any of you ever met Prahladananda Swami? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, so he's a sannyas minister. He's, I think he's read Bhagavad Gita 160 times or 200 times or something like that. Bhagavatam, like, I don't know, 50, 60 times. Yes, he can tell you one time there was a group of us taking prasadam at a festival and he said to everybody, would you like to hear a chapter of Krishna book? We said, yes. And he just starts reciting from memory. Yeah, you would, yeah. I think... Sloka Loka. Sloka Loka, yeah, yeah. So he said when he got married, he was sitting with his wife, and what do you think he was doing? What do you think he was doing? I'm not. No, no, what do you think he was doing? Reading Shastra. That was all he would do, you know? Whenever he was with his wife, let's read Bhagavad Gita. And he said she would fall asleep. And he said after two weeks she left him. He said she could understand... She could understand I, that this man is never going to fulfill my desires. He's only going to read Shastra to me. So such a person is not fit for the Grahastha Ashram. Do you understand? We have this in our life, in the Rotima Dastakura, very similar. These people, they're, they're, they're not suitable. They go in the Grahastha Ashram, they simply make a mess. Like this lady boiling the cooking bananas with the window and the cabbage. And some people, they're not fit for the pronounced ashram. You know, they simply make a mess. When you join, there were no books. So for six months, they were reading this ashram. I'm not with God. <coughs> he was telling you that, Yeah. So whether somebody is in Brahmachari, Grahasta, Vanaprasa, Sanyas, this is a matter of individual thing. It does not have nothing to do with bhakti. It's not, it's not a, a bhakti thing. Did you have something you wanted to say? <coughs> okay. Uh, maybe we are talking about pronunciation as a by nature, like possibly Bhagavati, Bhakti Yoga, On the contrary, under six Saragar we talk about Anukulya Shishankarpa, which means it seems to be a matter of discipline. How do you translate that? No, it's natural. It's natural. So my husband always wanted just dal rice to pati sabji. That's the only thing he ever wanted. Even we would go to a Govindas, he would just order puris and sabji and rice and dal. Same thing. So I didn't cook other things. I mean, very rarely. If we were out shopping and it was very late and I had no time, I would make pasta. So to my children, pasta was a big treat. So when I taught my children how to cook, I taught them how to cook dal rice to Pakistan. So when my daughter got married, she married a man whose his mother was a devotee. But she would make a lot of, uh, she was from an Italian family, and they would make a lot of Italian food. And also he grew up in Hawaii where they ate a lot of Oriental food. So he said, I want you to learn how to cook lasagna, I want you to learn how to cook. So she learned to cook these other things, why? To please her husband. 
He said, I don't want Del Rice to party subject. Maybe once in a month. So the Anukul and the Pratikul was not a discipline. It was love. That's not some discipline. No. If you, if you love someone, you want to please them. So you do what they like and you don't do what they don't like. It's just, Krishna doesn't like this. I mean, why, do we, why don't we eat meat, fish, and eggs? Krishna doesn't like it. We could give so many other reasons, but our ultimate reason is Krishna doesn't like it. Why don't we eat onions and garlic? Again, people give this reason, that reason. But ultimately, Krishna doesn't want to eat it. So because Krishna doesn't want to eat it, we don't cook it. So that, that's not a discipline. You know, if you're going to, if you have some guests coming to your house, you want to arrange what they like, because you care. Yes? If you're going to buy a gift for someone, you want to buy something that they will appreciate. And that is not, it's, it's not a discipline. There should be some, it should be some devotion. Why would I want this? Krishna doesn't like it. What is Krishna's son Prajuna? He says, something that I think is nectar becomes poison, something that I think is poison becomes nectar if Krishna likes it or does not like it. So it's, it's like that. But you see, that is dependent on these first two. Cessation of hunger does not happen by looking at the food or by talking about the food, by looking at a picture of the food, by having a chemical analysis of the food. Cessation of hunger only comes when you eat the food. <coughs> so this part of surrender only comes when you actually feel some devotion and you actually get some nourishment of the presence of God. I mean, one can take up renunciation as a discipline very briefly. So if some anger wells in me and I want to hit you, I have to restrain myself or I will be arrested. So very briefly we may do that, but that should not be our life. That's not our process of bhakti. It very temporary, very briefly. Otherwise we cannot even exist as civilized human beings, we're just going to be animals. But that should not be our, our way of living. Does that make sense? Yeah, the word used as rejecting means... Yeah, but I'm rejecting naturally. And the difference, like I really think it's nice in this purport, if I think this is enjoyable, but I'm going to reject it, that is very different from what is the enjoyment there? There's, there's no enjoyment there. I, why would I be interested? Would you like to do this? No, why? It's flat. So there's a difference between it's attractive. Like I said, when I'm fasting, and I went in this shop. I mean, it's embarrassing to say this, but I think it's a good example. I had this experience that I was shopping when I was fasting. And then the cakes, they looked enjoyable to me because I was fasting. And then I had to use my intelligence. 
No, you don't want to eat that. It has eggs in it. It's cooked by non-devotees. Why do you want to eat? I have to, I have to function with intelligence. But if I'm not fasting, there's not even any attraction. There's nothing there at all. It, it's just flat. I mean, I see that there's cakes. Yes, there's cakes. <laughs> but it, 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 they don't appear to me as enjoyable objects. And so rejecting them is not... There's no discipline involved with rejecting them. It's, there's no effort to reject them. It's just natural. Yes? Uh, like we reject uh, newspaper, uh, All right, but, but rejecting Prajalpa again should be because I have many other things to talk about and the Prajalpa is not attractive. Then you have to dive into Bhakti. And also this is gradual. It's explained here, increasingly with each bite. So we will find that as we progress in bhakti, this, we, we get, this becomes more and more real to us. But I will say also that sometimes as we progress, there may have been something that we were repressing. But we didn't know we were repressing it. We thought we were actually detached. And, act, and the truth was we were repressing it. This will happen. It will happen to most of us. And at some point Krishna will bring this up and say, Hey, you do think this is enjoyable. You're not really detached from this. What do you want to do about this? That will happen. And we will have to look at this and decide. Do I find this enjoyable or not? And we have to look at it with Krishna, side by side, Maya and Krishna, and decide, what do I choose? And when I choose Krishna, the attraction will be gone. So that will also happen, because there are some things, probably for most of us, that we have not dealt with properly. And many times those things come disguised as bhakti. I will also say, many times. We, we think that we have some, something that's part of our devotion or part of our detachment. And we may even be proud of it. And we think, and then it, but it's something else. And then Krishna will show you, ah, you have a problem here. That will happen. So there will be some anarthas and attachments that we're not aware that we have and Krishna will make us aware. He'll show us and then he'll say, do you find this to be enjoyable? Is, do you find some pleasure in this thing? Do you, and he'll tell you, he'll show it to you very clearly. He'll say, look at it very carefully. Do you find it enjoyable? Last question. We have four sampradayas. Yes. These sampradayas, the devotees in that sampradaya, they respect their acharyas and they have very yes. scriptures. Sometimes, firstly, we have seen, sometimes devotees, they come a little pumped up, not little. 
I am clear in the duty only in this form, everyone is completely useless. And that's taking a lot of things from other sympathizers. Recently we had some devotee who wrote something with other sympathizers. Now they are pointing out, you are not the proper sympathizer. I think devotees, uh, we should say that there are also devotees in other Well, this is the, the obstacle in bhakti. The obstacle in bhakti is the mad elephant. Every path has its obstacle, and this is ours. In, in, I wrote about this in my novel, Essence Seekers. Uh, Mahaprabhu explains this to Sanatana Swami. So the obstacle in bhakti yoga is you think, I have more, better, more bhakti and better bhakti than others. And in, in karma yoga, the obstacle is the hornets, where you identify with your designation. The obstacle in, in dhyan yoga is you're going to merge with the kundalini or you become attached to your powers. The obstacle in Gyan Yoga is you get bewildered by so many speculative theories. But the obstacle in Bhakti is a kind of pride in your in your devotion. This is also in the in Manashiksha in verse seven. The dead dog and the unchaste woman who wants to eat the dead dog where you become proud of your bhakti. And this can be, I am proud of my bhakti individually. I think I have more bhakti than anybody else in this temple or anybody else in ISKCON. And it can also be a group pride. My temple is the best temple. The Chennai temple is better than the Mayapur temple. Our deities are the best. Our deities are the best. My guru is the best. My sampradaya is the best. You know, so to some extent, to some extent, this kind of pride can be spiritual. Like Robert says, we can have a pride. I have the best master. I have Krishna. He's the best master. But if it denigrates others, then that is a problem. I mean, I, you want that every wife thinks her husband is the best man on the planet. This is desirable. The woman should think, my husband is no husband better. No man could be a better husband than my husband. And the husband should think, no wife could be a better wife than my wife. But that doesn't mean you go around saying, well, your husband's no good, and your husband's no good. He's not as nice. I mean, that's ridiculous. So these things have to be balanced. Of course, we are thinking that Prabhupada is the best Acharya. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in Iskhan. We'd be in another part of the Gaudiyamat. The other branches of the Gaudiyamat Yes, other branches of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Some of them don't even have anything to do with Srila Prabhupada. Some of the branches from Naratam Das Thakur and Gadadhar Pandit, and they're not associated with Bhakti Guru. So we are here because we think Prabhupada is the best, of course. And we are in the Gaudiya Sampradaya because we think it is the best. Yes, of course. If I didn't think it was the best, then I would join the Nimbarka Sampradaya. And I am a Vaishnava because I think that is the best. Otherwise, I would be a Catholic or a Buddhist or something. Of course I am here because I think it is the best. Duh! If I didn't believe it was the best, then what am I doing in something that's not the best? But if I think that means that actually, objectively, it is the best, there is a big problem. I think my children are the best. Actually, that's their last name is best. <laughs> and I think my grandchildren are the best. I, I'm sorry. I think my children are smarter than your children. 
But I don't really believe that. You understand? I believe it, but I don't believe it. Does that make sense to everybody? My husband used to say to me, you are the most beautiful woman in the world. So part of me would be very, feel very happy. Oh, my husband is attracted to me, he likes me, and I would feel secure. And part of me would think, he's crazy. I look in the mirror, I go, well, I'm not ugly, but I'm not the most beautiful woman in the world. And then part of me would wonder, does he really think I am the most beautiful woman in the world? Or is he just saying that? But I would not ask. You know? So it's good that the man thinks, my wife is the most beautiful woman in the world. But if he actually believes that objectively, he's a crazy person. So Srila Prabhupada said so many times that in so many religions you can come to love of God. And we are not trying to make, we are not trying to convert the Christians into Hindus. We are not trying to convert people. We are not saying your religion is garbage. You can attain to love of God also. We are, we are, we are not saying that we have a monopoly on love of God. If you can know and love God in your tradition, I, I heard Prabhupada say this directly, I was in the same room. If you can know and love God in your tradition, then that is perfect. And Prabhupada said, if you're reading the Bhagavad Gita and you do not know and love God, it is a useless waste of time. The devotees asked Prabhupada, do we make faster advancement living in the temple? He said, not if your mind is on another subject matter. So even if we are going to say, yes, Vaishnavas are the best, of all the Vaishnavas, the Gaudiyas are the best, or of all the Gaudiyas, the followers of Prabhupada are the best, but if you're not falling in love with Krishna, what is the use? Some Muslim who's falling in love with Allah is better than you. Mm, yes. So, yes, for ourselves, we should feel this is the best. Otherwise, why are we here? then we are fools. Yes? Make sense? If I thought Sri Vaishnavism was better, then I should go there. <laughs> if I think Islam is better, I should go there. Well, we should also understand, not even not put them down, it's beyond that. Bhaktivinoda said we should have deep, unprecedented love. Oh! Here is another worshiper of my Lord. Here is another worshiper in my Lord. I don't want to worship that way. It's not my taste. But here is another worshiper of my Lord. How wonderful that is. That is the mood. How glorious is your worship of my Lord. Do you know him? Do you love him? That is wonderful. Only by a different name. Ultimately, whatever. Just in a buffet. 
and people from different faiths, I say, I believe my way is the best. Of course. Otherwise, I'm a crazy person, foolish person. But at the same time, I don't think my way is the best. Any way you know God and love God, that is best. If you actually believe only my husband can be a good husband, all other men, they cannot be a good husband. But on some level you must believe that, correct? On some level you must believe only this man is, is a good husband. All the others, they, are, they have problems. Yeah? On some level one must actually feel that way. So these two things, my guru, yes, I have the best guru. I am the best sampradaya. I have the best reasons, yes. And I could give you so many objective reasons, so many quotes from Shastra, why this is the best. But also I recognize, you are loving God. I don't care if you're loving God this way, that way, what does it matter? It's, it's irrelevant. Yeah? So we should stop here. In the DBC college, Gopash Maharaj was asking, he was talking about ego. He said, ego is the main problem. He asked one of them, what is the weight? He said, 85 kilos. Then your head pain must be 200 kilos. <laughs> so that's the problem. He said, we talk about it. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Okay, thank you very much and Prabhupada Kiji.